tomorrow is Veterans Day. Could I ask that anyone who is a veteran, could you stand right now? We'd really need to honor you right now. Is there anyone here right now that is a veteran? Yes, one, two, three. Wow. Come on, come on. Thank you. I'd like to read something that um, Pastor Rick Warren said that I thought really was quite poignant about veterans. He said this, it's the veterans, not the reporters, who give us freedom of the press. It's the veterans, not the poets, who give us freedom of speech. It's the veterans, not political organizers, who give us freedom to assemble. It's the veterans, not lawyers, who give us the freedom to a fair trial. It's veterans, not politicians, who gives the freedom to vote. It's the veterans, not the pastors, who give us the freedom of worship to be able to worship publicly. So on behalf of our nation, on behalf of this church as well, you three guys that were here this morning just stood up. We want to thank you publicly for your service to give us all of those freedoms that we get to enjoy. Let's all agree with that. Wow. Today we're continuing on with our series about thankfulness. We've called it, oh, thank God. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is probably one of the most significant characteristics, attitudes, and choices of any Christian that would walk the face of this earth. In fact, I believe that the level of our thankfulness underlines or undermines our Christian credentials. How so? It's not thankfulness that actually gets us to heaven. It's not thankfulness that, that, that forces us into a relationship with God. But thankfulness has this amazing ability to prove whether we actually believe that God is good. Because when we actually lack thankfulness in our lives, how can anybody on the outside of the kingdom of God look at us and go, oh yeah, you're a Christian. How can they believe that God is good if they don't see that our attitude, our outlook, our joy, our peace, our hope is exuding from us in this undergirded thankfulness because we're so grateful for what God has done for us. About 23 years ago, I actually came, not about, actually 23 years ago, I came to America. And when I came to America, I, was, I came with the invitation of Pastor Mark and I remember coming. And when I first came, I came with a suitcase in one hand and I came with a guitar in the other hand and a hundred bucks in my pocket. And I came to work for Pastor Mark in a very small church and he said, would you like to come and work for me? And I'm like, sure. I didn't really know who he was. I'd only met him one day at a conference and I just came over just on a whim and I just figured I got nothing else to do. So I came with a guitar, a guitar in one hand, a suitcase in the other and a hundred bucks in my pocket. And it's easy for me to be thankful because if I look back on my life, what I came with is nothing compared to what I have today. I have like a thousand times more than what I actually came with. I mean, I've got a wonderful wife. I've got okay children. Um, I've got a, a great house. I've got cars. I've got friends. I've got a church. I've got, I've, got, I've got belongings, I've got instruments, I've got so much stuff in my life. I've got so many reasons why I should be thankful because God has increased me. God has given me so much more. If you were to look back on your life and you were to look at where you were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, are you actually more blessed today than what you were back then? 
Maybe you, some of you have taken a detour and you've done some crazy things, some bad things, you've lost a lot of things. But if you're sitting in this room today and you were to take account of what you should have compared to what you do have, you have much reason to be thankful. Am I right? Feel free to say amen. Yes, Peter, you're absolutely right. At any given time during this teaching, because I'm teaching here and your response is right here. Right? I'm like 23% where you're at right now. Are you ready to take it up just a notch? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. That's, that's your first warning across the bow. We're looking for something here. Listen, Thanksgiving, I believe, positions you to receive from God. Can you imagine if you take your child on a, on a Christmas morning and you have all these different wonderful gifts for them. You take the first gift and you give it to your child and they open it up and they look at it and go, it's not really what I wanted. What's your feeling in response to all the other gifts that are around the Christmas tree, right? You're like, oh, I was going to give you this other one, but no, you're not getting it now, right? It's amazing how nothing is drawn from you. No desire of more gifts is drawn out of you for that child because the child is ungrateful. I believe that the world looks at, I have good things, so therefore I'm thankful. But in the kingdom of God, you're thankful and it draws good things to you. And as we're going to be looking at this teaching today, I want to start pulling this apart and starting to, uh, starting to see what the scriptures are saying about thankfulness, that thankfulness precedes the good things that are meant to come in your life, not the other way around. Many people will live in such a way that I don't have good things in my life. I've got difficult things. Things are terrible. Things are challenging. I've got, I've got the, the IRS are against me. I'm in debt. I've lost my house. My wife doesn't love me. My cat bit me the other day. My life sucks. So therefore, I'm not thankful. No, it's the wrong way around. You're meant to have thankfulness in order to draw good things to you. And as I was looking at the scriptures, I noticed that there were two words that really jumped out to me about how you get thankfulness, how you get yourself in the position of thankfulness in order to be able to, 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 to receive good things from God. And the two words are this. The first word is this. The first one is remembering. Now, if you look at the first five books of the Bible, the first five books are the most important books to the Jews. We call them the Pentateuch or we call them the Torah. But these are the most holy books to the Jews in the Old Testament. In fact, they're a part of our Bible as well. They're called the Pentateuch. The reason why they're so important is because these are the first five books that were written by Moses. But if you look at all the commands that God is giving in the first five books, most of them consider, and sorry, most of them carry the word remember. Most of them include that word Remember, why remember? What is so important about remembering? Why does God always use the word remember? Well, I want to suggest two things to you of why the word remembering and why remembering itself, the, the principle of thanksgiving, is so important. The first one is this. When you remember the goodness of God, it brings awareness and perspective. First one there is awareness. In Exodus 13, verse 3, it says, Remember the day in which you came out of Egypt, God was saying to the people of God, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget where you came from. It's easy to forget what God rescued you from. It's easy to forget how good you have it today. But do you remember what you've been saved from? You see, if you're a Christ follower and you're not really sure what bad things that God saved you from, if you're not really sure what you should have deserved in life based on 
the sin that was in your heart, then you haven't found Christ. It's only in the revelation of what we truly deserve to be rejected by God and now what we've been given through Christ that we can see we deserve worse than what we have today. But the second part of why remembering is good is that it not only brings awareness, but it brings perspective for us as well. It brings us perspective in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way out of the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you. Why would he test you? Test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Why would God test us? It's simply to know what's in your heart. What is really inside of you? Is it fear? Is it panic? Is it worry? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? What is it that's inside of you? Because God is looking for people that he can trust with more good things. You follow me so far? You see, there, it, giving, giving us good things is no big deal to God. I got tons. I got tons of good things I would love to give to you. I'm not sure I can give them to you. Why? Because I'm not sure you're going to be able to handle what I'm giving you. I'm not sure if you have the attitude and the heart to know what you really deserve, which then makes you see that you should have a right attitude of joy, of peace, of hope, and thanksgiving, of gratitude in your life. You see, this is what perspective is. Perspective is when you can see where you are right now compared to the distance of where you should be or where you could have been, right? It helps you to see what's in the future. It helps you to see in the past. That's what perspective is. It informs you of your current position and the reality of it. You ever come across a person who really not quite aware how good they are, right? You're really not quite aware they think that they're greater than what they are and you're standing there going, you're not as good as you think you are. When I first had a child, I remember a few weeks after, maybe a few months after, I remember calling my mother up and going, I just really need to say thank you for being such a good parent because I'm now realizing what you went through with four children. Has anyone ever done that before? It's only when you have children that you start to realize oh my gosh, my mother is a saint. Because you were horrible. You think you were wonderful, but really you look at your child and go, I was probably just the same. I remember actually taking my children to Disney um, quite a few years ago and one of them started to complain that they didn't get this and they didn't get that. And something inside of me just wanted to leave Disney and go home right now. You don't, no Disney for you, no soap for you. Did not want them to be in Disney anymore. I have worked. I've given you the best that I can. You know how much money this cost us to get you to Disney. And this is how you're going to treat it? Mm -mm, no thanks. None for you. Perspective tells you where you're at. If you don't have perspective, then you become ungrateful. Here's the second thing. The first one is that remembering brings us awareness and perspective. The second thing that remembering brings us is that remembering brings us or protects us from giving up on people, God, holy habits, or dreams. Have you ever been in the position where someone has treat, treated you badly enough that you felt like something wasn't fair? You didn't think it was fair that the way that they treated you. When you think things are unfair, you're likely to demand justice and be much less generous to that person. You're much more likely to say, well, I'm not gonna give you any more good things. I'm not gonna help you anymore because you've treated me unfairly. 
Maybe you've been in the position where you felt unloved or you felt rejected by someone. When you feel rejected or you feel unloved, then you're likely to withdraw yourself from that person and reject them too. Listen, in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still in sins, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were still rejecting him, even though we were still going our own way, he still reached out to us. And I believe that when we have a heart of thankfulness, when we, are, we have the, the type of lifestyle we are constantly remembering what we didn't deserve, and yet God still gave good things to us, we're likely to be compelled to still give good things to other people who don't deserve what we're giving to them. Hello. Maybe you've done this with God. Maybe you've done this even with your, your own holy habits. You've given up on some of your holy habits. You're not living the way that God wants you to live simply because, well, I don't see the results. What's the point? What's the point of being pure in my sexuality? I might as well, I might as well just, just go and do whatever the heck I want because it doesn't make any difference. But the fact is, it does make a difference. It makes a difference to your conscience. It makes a difference about how much the Father can trust you to be able to know that you can stick with holy habits in your life. What about giving up on dreams? Have you ever had dreams or visions that God has given you that someday you will do a magnificent things for the kingdom of God and you've given up on them because you didn't see your friends have the same passion? Listen, thankfulness of knowing how good God is helps you to keep perspective on those things and don't give up on them. God didn't give up on me. Did he give up on you? And let's not give up on him and let's not give up on those that he's actually calling us to. But here's the second word that I want to look at. If remembering is the word that is usually mostly used in the Old Testament, Jesus actually used a different word. In fact, he did use the word remembering himself. He said when he was in the upper room with his disciples and he took the bread and the wine and he said, take this and eat this and consume this and do this in remembrance of me. See, even Jesus knew that we had to call to mind the good things that we do have in our lives, call to mind the goodness of our Father. And this is just before he's about to go to the cross. This is, about, this is just before when things are about to fall apart for the disciples, when, when literally the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell were gonna clash together, when things are about to get worse and they're about to get bad. Jesus didn't say, just hold on, hold on tight. He didn't say, just, just, just cross your fingers and hopefully this will get really much better. Don't worry. No, he said, remember what I'm doing for you. Remember those things. But the second word that he used was a word called remain. If remembering is the word that's used in the Old Testament, he started using this word remaining in the New, in the New Testament. In fact, it's a word that my father used to speak. He always used to use, uh, used to always uh, quote the, the old King James Version. And it's the old word abideth. Does anyone remember that one? Abideth in me. I said, I'm like, dad, that's old fashioned. That's not woke, dad, right? Okay. Remaining, 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 remaining. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told them to remain in him. And he said this in John 15, seven and eight. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, he said, you must remain in me and what I have must remain in you. That's like he's saying, remember what I have done and what I have done must be in you. Remain in me and remain in you. And then he said something that, listen now, is quite a shocking statement to say. 
It's a very sweeping statement. It's easy for us to, to let it trip out of our mouth and just say, oh, well, that's true. But the fact is, I don't know that we necessarily live that it's true. He said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wait a second. Jesus, I, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know how things work. I mean, it's been pretty bad around here. The Romans have come in, taken everything. They've, they've, they've stolen our children. They've stolen our property. They've stolen our, 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 our families. They've broken our backs. We've just broken our will in this, in this country. You're, you're telling me if we ask you anything that you'll give it to us? And he's like, yep, that's what I just said. If you remain in me, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When I looked at this, I thought, I wonder how many times this concept is said in New Testament. Can I tell you how many times? 11 times. 11 times it says, ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. That's mind blowing. Now, why would he say, ask for whatever you want? I believe that remembering and remaining positions you for receiving from God. But why would we need to receive more from God? He goes on and he says this, this is to my father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be my disciples, number one. This is to my father's glory. It's all about him. This is about showing how good our God is. The second thing is that you bear much fruit. That means you have a job to do. There's a purpose that you've been called to and it's up to you to do these things. And then the last thing he says, showing yourself to be my disciples, right? It's up to you to show that you're Christ's disciples, it's up to you to show that you're a son and a daughter of God. You're meant to become everything that God has called you to be. So in order to do this, in order to be able to become who I'm meant to be, in order to find a purpose in the kingdom of God, in order to be able to show the, the glory of God and show how good he is, I believe that we have to learn how to be in the position of receiving more from God. But receiving more from God is, I don't think, is quite as easy as it looks. And I want to suggest to you six different things that you must believe or receive. Or th six different things that you must remember about God. That you must believe about God before you can be in the position to receive from God. Are you ready for this? Number one. Number one is, I must remember that God is there. Now that seems like a simple thing to say to a church full of people, right? Look at this, Hebrews eleven six. it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hello, he's dropping the bomb again. He's dropping this whole concept that if you want to have good things and you want to have more things, you know, not because you can become selfish and big and fat and greedy, but for the purpose of the kingdom of God, if you want good things from the Father, you must believe that he exists. Well, of course, Peter, you're speaking to Christians right now. We all know that he exists, right? Do you really? Because it's amazing how our responses and our actions indicate that he doesn't. Years ago when I was at college, I remember going to college in Scotland and <clears throat> I had to move over to this big city and I didn't have much money and I was really there by myself and I had a friend who had a floor that I could sleep on. He had just a, a one-room a, a one apartment. That's all it was, just one room. 
And it was in there, and, and, and that was just, he only owned one room, that's all, no kitchen, nothing else. He had to share a bathroom. And I'm like, dude, can I sleep on your floor? And he's like, sure, yeah, you could sleep there for a few weeks. And I remember sleeping on the floor, and I'm like, where am I going to stay? Where am I going to stay? I've never done this before. I'm 18 years old. I'm in a foreign city. I don't know anybody here. And I went looking in the newspaper, looking for, for places I could go stay or rent, and I just couldn't afford anything. And then I found a few places I could afford, and I went to look at them. They were in the worst parts of town. I remember this one particular place I walked in and it was dog feces on the floor and it was just stinking of urine and people were screaming upstairs and I'm like, oh God, what am I gonna do? I don't know what to do. And I went into this panic and I went into this worry and this fear and I don't know what to do. And I remember just this little thing inside of my heart and said, what about me? What about you ask me? About my chopped liver here? God never said that, but that's how I felt like he said it, right? And I realized that I was so focused on what I couldn't handle, on the challenges that I had, that I forgot that God is my father and that he exists. I acted like he didn't exist. Panic and worry, a response of anger or control or bitterness, even in action in life, tells you that you don't believe that God exists. Because if you did do it, then you'd be running to him. You'd be asking for help from him. But when you internalize it and take it upon yourself, and when things go bad, do you act like he's still there? Silas and Paul, when they were going around ministering and, and they came across this city and they were telling people about God and they hated them and they were, they were gonna stone them and they started beating them up and then they dragged them into prison. They didn't just put them into any prison. They put them into the, the deepest, the darkest prison in this whole prison house. And it says when they got in there, it says in Acts 16, it says that they started praising God and singing praise and hymns and songs and hymns and they just raised up their praise to God and they sang, in each circumstance that I find myself, I am gonna praise my father. They acknowledged that he was there and that he was in charge. And it says that an earthquake came and the gates opened up and they were able to walk out. And the prison guard knew fine well that if all the prisoners ran away, he was good as dead. So he decided, well, I'm going to kill myself because as I've now lost all these prisoners. And Paul and Silas went, don't kill yourself. We're still here. We don't need to leave this prison because God is in this prison with us. Hello. You don't need to leave the difficult situation you're in. You don't need to get out of your prison. You don't need to get out of your, 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 your challenges in life. You need to find God in it, not out of it. Hello. Come on now. That's 23% better than your response right now. Number two, I must remember that he is a personal God. What does that mean? James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the... Father, coming from the Father of lights. It's coming from our dad. It's not coming from uh, some other real force. He is someone, not something. This is not just fate in life. I'm just hoping that the, that the universe will work in my favor and hopefully it will swing tomorrow towards my favor tomorrow and make me lucky tomorrow. Listen, if you worship a life force, you might as well, you might as well be worshiping an outlet in your wall. God is a person not just a power. He's our Father. He is the Son of God. He is the Holy Spirit. We have someone that we can have a relationship with. Number three, I must remember that he will listen. In 1 John 5, 14, it says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? 
He hears us. Anything you ask, you know fine well, he's listening. He's someone who hears you. And it goes on, he says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Maybe you're someone who grew up without a father. Maybe you didn't have a father that really listened to you. Maybe that when you said something, he just didn't pay attention, didn't acknowledge you. And maybe you're expecting that God will not listen to you either. Quite a few years ago, I was with a client of mine and, uh, and, and we were just doing some business together and, and she was really struggling with, with, with a, a huge account that she had and she just had been asking God, you know, show me what to do. I don't know what to do. And she hadn't heard an answer from God, but she was going into panic. And I'm like, why are you going into panic? God is good. He'll, he'll, he'll bring the answer at the right time. But she's like, I just don't know. I'm just in a panic. I just don't know what to do. And I said, was your dad around when you were younger? And she goes, yeah, he was. And I said, was there any moment or time or experience that you had in your life where your father didn't listen to you? And she just welled up and started tearing up in, in the middle of this restaurant. We were having lunch together. And she said, there was a time when I was 16 years old when I was determined that I wanted to have, I wanted to go to my best friend's wedding. She was 18. She was in another city. And, and I just got on a bus and I went. My dad wouldn't let me go. And I went, screw you. I'm going to do whatever I want. So I got on a bus and I left. And when I came back a few days later, he was so incensed with me. He didn't talk to me for two months. And I said, and it's still affecting you. And she just, in tears, she's like, it does still affect me. And I said, well, you need to know that your dad's not the same in heaven. Your father is not the same. In heaven, he's not the same. He listens to everything you've got to say. It doesn't mean he's going to agree with you, but he will never ignore you whatsoever. Why? Because in Hebrews, it says that God, Jesus, has given us the permission to go to the Father. We have the right to go to the Father anytime in any way that we want. Number four, number four, I must remember that he will reply. Now, maybe not in the way that I want, but he will reply. It's not about how he replies or when he will reply, but he will reply. Psalms 38 says, the Lord, I wait for you and you will answer. Even the psalmist knew that sometimes you have to wait. It may not come when you want it to come. It may not come in the way that you want it to come. Hebrews 11 is all about a whole bunch of people from the Old Testament that literally asked God for great things and they waited and didn't see it. But it came to pass even after they, they, they died themselves. He will bring the right answer at the right time. Number five, I must remember that he can act. Genesis 18, 14, it says, is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? No, nothing is. I think we live in mostly a, what they call a monistic earth or, or world where people believe that, that the earth was created by itself and just some particles got together and they exploded in the Big Bang and it came about and that's the way it is. And so therefore, no one really has control over anything. In fact, they just believe, in fact we, we, we even get to the point where scientists are saying we don't even have control over our emotions because they're just the reactions, the chemical reactions of, of what is happening inside of us and it's already a conclusion of whatever, uh, uh, whatever um, what do they call it? Oh, gee, I can't think of the word. But, oh, gee, what's the word? <sighs> My mind's just literally gone blank. You know, when we came from, from, from jelly in the ground and then we go to monkeys and then we just became ourselves. What do they call it? 
Yeah, there. Evolution. See, it's not in my mind, so I'm just too holy. No one believes that, right? Okay, that's good. But there are so many people that believe that we're just a result of evolution. We're just, we are what we are. But that doesn't really scare me so much because they can at least be won by the power of God, right? What scares me the most is people who believe that God created everything, but they don't believe he actually has final control or final say over everything. That's scarier more than anything else because that's mostly a lot, not mostly, but there's a lot of Christians that are much like that that they don't really have a belief that God can do the things that he wants them, that, that they want him to do. And so they act like, well, God's just like an absent father. He's like an absent God. Now, I don't believe that God is dictating everything. I don't think that when you go to pick which can of beans on the shelf, that he's going to tell you, pick the one on the right. I don't really think that God cares about your beans, right? Or maybe he does. I don't know. But right? I don't think he says, that tree needs to grow to the left, not to the right. He could, but it doesn't mean he will. I don't think he even chooses what temperature is going to be. He's fine with all that stuff. But the one thing I do know about our father is that he knows that he has good plans for you and he's going to make sure that those good plans do happen. Hello. But he can't force us to do something. He has to have our partnership of our will, of our faith, of our choice to choose him every day, which is then going to take me to this last one that I believe is probably one of the most important scriptures that I've ever read. And it's number six. I must believe that he loves me. Why is this important? Because believing that he loves me tells me that he wants good things for me. Not that he can just do it. Not that he just listens to what we want. Not that he just has a hope that we have good things. But he actually wants good things for us. That's quite significantly different. Why? Because we're going to read in Matthew verse, chapter 7, verse 9 to 11. It says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and all the people around him. It says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, read it with me. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who, what? How much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, why is this a significant moment? I'll tell you why. Because you get to choose which gifts you choose from which father. Listen, now, think, think about that. If you don't choose to receive good things from your heavenly father, you're relegated to live with the gifts that your earthly father gave to you. Whether it is a blessing or a curse, Many of you have received good blessings from your father. That's great. That's wonderful. Maybe you're happy and comfortable with that. God bless you. All the best for you. I'm not in that position. I don't want to be in the position of only living with the good gifts that my father gave me. Why? Because I believe that God has planted dreams and visions within myself that is to go to next levels, is to expect greater things and to do greater things like Jesus said, that we'll do greater things than him. Some of you have also inherited curses from your father. That's why Jesus called them evil fathers. You've inherited curses from your fathers that you don't expect much in life. You've inherited curses from your father where you need to be in control of things. 
May you have inherited the curse of your father where you don't know actually how to be loved by other people. You don't know how to embrace other people. Maybe you got the, the curse from your father where you don't know how to make money and you just keep repeating debt after debt after debt after debt. What well, if you do not choose to receive the good things from your heavenly father, you're relegated to the good or the bad gifts that come from your earthly father. Hello. This is significant because you have to make a choice to say, I'm leaving home. I'm leaving my father and my mother and I'm going to go to my father's house in heaven. I'm going to go live with my father because I want his gifts. I'm grateful for what my father and mother has given me. This is what I've arrived with. A suitcase, a guitar, a hundred bucks in one one pocket. I'm grateful for what they have given me, but it's no longer good enough for me. Why? Because God is calling me to greater things. Hello. God is calling you to greater things. You can look back and be grateful for what God has given you, but you can't live there. You can't stay there. Remember it. Remember how good things were. Remember what he saved you from and then remain in the presence of God. Remain in the belief that he has greater things for you, your children and your grandchildren. We are a church for generations. This can't stop with me and it can't stop with you. It's got to go from greater to greater to greater because I am not satisfied to stay where I'm at. I want better things from my father. I want good things from my father. But we have to live like it's true. Let's stand today as we end our service. And I want you to take your hands and turn them up and just... Place them like a child that is ready to receive a gift. Father, if there's anyone here today, if you're here today, in fact, I'll just talk to you directly. If you're, if you're here today and you've never received Christ, that's the greatest gift you know you're going to get, right? I know that. A whole bunch of people here know that. And if you've never done it or you need to give your life back to Christ, I just want you to, to mouth it with your lips or say it out loud and say, Father, I want you. I want, I want to be returned to you. I want to take Christ back into my life. I want to go back to holy habits. I want to go back to being with you and I want to give up on you or holy habits. I want to be with you again and I receive your son into my heart. And if that's your first time ever saying that or even your second time, come come and tell me afterwards. I would love to hear that. I'd love to know that. But right now for all of us together, Father, we, we want to thank you for the good gifts you want to give to us and we've got hands that are ready for it. And it's the hands of gratitude. It's the hands of thankfulness. In one hand, we are remembering what you have saved us from. You are remembering how good you were. And in the other hand, we are choosing to remain in Christ. We will remain in his words. We will remain choosing and chasing after him. And now we're at a position where we get the permission to ask for whatever we want. Do you know what it is that you want? Do you know what it is that you want? Ask for it and keep asking for it and trust and believe that God will give it in his time because he's a good father. Father, fill our hands with good things, we pray. For the sake of the kingdom of God, we ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.